2: Welcome to Diffusion Science, your 30-minute dose of science news, views and breakthroughs. I'm your host, Darren Osborne, looking forward to expanding your scientific lexicon for another week. Whether you're listening to us in Sydney on 2SER, around Australia on the Community Radio Network, or you've downloaded the show from the internet, welcome aboard. In this week's show, Mark switches on the fastened seatbelt sign as we travel through the science of air turbulence... And the all natural Celine and Emily take a closer look at food additives. But first, it's time for the news with Jack and Celine.
4: If you're ever worried about falling prey to the charms of a serial killer, now might be the time. Two U.S. universities and Massey University formed a team led by Professor James D'Afonso to find out who was likely to be killed by a serial killer. The findings were all based in the U.S. so you can relax somewhat. Interestingly, Californians were three times more likely to be involved in a killer activity. The study looked at sociological perspectives associated with killings from 1970 to 1992. People in more urban areas with more divorcees, one-person households and unemployed people abounding were more likely to be killed by a male serial killer. Sounds simple, but apparently females require a more diverse set of motives to go on a spree. In defence, males are more motivated by sexual cues, which are often complicated, and 10% suffer from disorders, i.e. schizophrenia. The number of targets a killer is surrounded by is a major determinant in where killings take place. Violent states in the U.S. with more hunting licences, National Guard enlistment and higher rates of violent television viewing were also more prone to serial killers. Dr Jane Prochnow of Massey University says countries like Australia, where higher percentages of single-person homes, divorcees and unemployment are found, are also prone to higher rates of serial killing males roaming the streets. All this, reporter can say, is stay clear of Oxford Street at night.
5: Neuroscientists are one step closer to developing technology for reading your mind. In a paper released last week by the Max Planck Institute, neuroscientists can not only locate the brain area where a thought occurs, but they can probe into the area to read out some kinds of thoughts. Their experiment involves asking a volunteer to add or subtract two numbers that are flashed on a screen in their head. Using functional magnetic resonance imaging, scientists were able to detect their choice correctly 70% of the time. The potential for reading minds is certainly an exciting thought. It could help the paralysed to control a wheelchair or use a computer. It can even help detecting criminal intent, religious beliefs or other hidden thoughts. But unleashing this technology poses some ethical dilemmas it could easily be misused by advertisers, politicians or lawyers to detect our intentions, attitudes or emotions. What if we could find out what a potential employee was thinking in a job interview? Or what if you had to scan your brain alongside your luggage at the airport? In fact, the Neuroethics Society was formed in 2006 to facilitate an international debate about the proper use of discoveries in their field and establish the real boundaries of mental privacy before we delve too far.
3: It's Mark West here, bringing you a couple of late-breaking news stories. Dr Richard Dwight and his team from the University of Wollongong have developed a new method of recording and analysing rail noise data collection, which promises to reduce time and cost. Mr Dave Anderson from the Cooperative Research Centre for Railway Engineering and Technologies and RailCorp says the system uses an algorithm that automatically categorises rail noise and removes extraneous noises such as barking dogs, cicadas and crows. The new equipment and algorithms are already in use to help reduce noise and wheel squeal from trains, particularly in built-up urban areas. Researchers from Queensland have found that coral reefs are susceptible to pesticide residues, which are almost undetectable. The joint research project by the Australian Institute of Marine Science, the ARC Centre for Excellence for Reef Studies and James Cook University, measured the sensitivity of the eggs, larvae and adults of the broadcast spawning coral, Acropora millipora, to a number of common pollutants including four classes of agriculture insecticides and a fungicide commonly used in Great Barrier Reef ca- river catchments. Their study showed that while fertilisation rates were not affected by insecticides, coral settlement was reduced by between 50 and 100% following 18 hours exposure to very low concentrations of each insecticide. The study also found that coral at all life stages was particularly sensitive to the agricultural fungicide MEMC, which caused bleaching in adult corals. And finally, a botanist from Charles Sturt University has discovered the unique plumbing that exists inside the Woolamai Pine. Dr Jeff Burrows decided to investigate how the Woolamai Pine transports water within after learning of its unique outer structure. Rather than dropping individual leaves like other trees, the Woollemiah sheds complete branches from the trunk, which never themselves develop sub-branches. He found there is a remarkable reduction in the number of water-conducting cells at the base of each branch, similar to connecting a garden hose to a straw, limiting the amount of water available to each branch. Discovered in 1994 in an isolated gully in the Blue Mountains near Sydney, the Woolamai pine is extremely rare, although fossil records show the species was once widespread and abundant.
2: Thanks for that. Now, just before you take that next bite of your sugar-free breakfast bar or a swig of your iridescently coloured orange juice, you might want to have a listen to Emily Fern and Celine Steinfeld as they shed some light on what you're really eating.
1: You are what you eat. Well, let's hope not. Let's start by defining the basic function of food. Food provides the nutrients and energy our bodies need to boost immunity, to influence our hormones and fight off nasties like the flu, as well as helping to keep us mentally sound. And let's not forget the aesthetic benefits of food. Your diet heavily influences the appearance and health of your
5: skin and hair. So what is it we're all so worried about? There's some food for thought. How much of what we consume today was available or even existed 100 years ago? So take a stroll through your local supermarket and note how many items of food are grown internationally or without soil or made from synthesised chemicals and stored long after what would be considered to be a normal shelf life. Way too many. So much of what is now available comes in the form of a TV dinner Why would we busy new millennium workaholics opt to cook from scratch? This question is certainly becoming an increasing cause for concern.
1: The worst part is, even those so-called healthy foods we purchase, such as cereal, are so processed and so very nutritionally poor that manufacturers have to actually add the vitamins and minerals back so they can be classified as, as legitimate foods. In fact, in commercial cereals, the goodness is actually sprayed onto the outside of each grain and is often washed off by the milk which is added, and therefore lost somewhere down the drain.
5: But you know what? You're not even safe if you buy fresh foods. It's estimated that every person ingests about one gallon of pesticides and herbicides per year from an average diet. Bad foods containing these poisons have been linked to heart disease, stroke and diabetes and what's worse is that the more nutritionally poor you eat the more you crave it it's the whole supersize me phenomenon as junk food junkies get fatter their fat cells store more and more dangerous chemicals and their already poor health further declines on a similar topic consider food additives sugar corn sweeteners
1: Salt, citric acid, pepper, vegetable dyes, mustard, yeast and baking soda account for 98% of the food additives we consume. Just think, your average American sends 2.4 kilograms of additives down their alimentary canal every year, a whopping 61 kilograms if you include sugar. Obesity is not only commonplace, but considering
5: these stats it should be expected. So why is it that we put artificial lemon flavouring in foods and real lemon juice in the toilet cleaner? That's literally the million-dollar question. Additives assist manufacturers with food preparation, lengthen the life of their product on domestic shelves and are generally cheaper as flavour flavor substitutes than harvesting the real thing. The buzzword, of course, these days is sugar-free and naturally, chemical sweeteners in a place of au natural sugar Make some foods a lot more marketable.
1: But alas, for sugar-free is in fact not entirely guilt-free. Preservatives like sulfite can cause severe reactions, especially in asthma sufferers. MSG, a well-known baddie, is a neurotoxin and is known to cause headaches, nausea, weakness and breathing difficulties. And so we all draw daily from the chemical cocktail. Ascorbic acid, vitamin C, if it is washed down with a children's drink containing sodium benzoate or potassium benzoate, it will react to form benzene, a potent carcinogenic, so even the good old vitamin C is no longer safe.
5: With over 10,000 chemicals added to our foods these days, it's a daunting task to try to comprehend all the nutritional information labels as Australian standards now require to have on each label. But be careful. Skipping on this seemingly menial task can be dangerous. Trusting catchphrases such as natural, fat-free or sugar-free could be cause for concern. I mean, if something is fat-free, what on earth is replacing the fat? So, we thought we'd investigate a typical breakfast menu and this is what we found.
1: The two worst offenders were... Strawberry conserve. Such an unsuspecting criminal contains only 44% strawberries. And what makes up the other 56% you ask? 66.3 grams of sugar, glucose syrup, vegetable gum and food acid 330. Ouch. But the overlord of the unhealthy, the king of crime in the food additives, (laughs) that is, is the artificial sweetener. The plug, the great taste minus the calories, can hardly apply to a product that contains
5: lactose, potassium, silicon dioxide and phenylalanine. So what's the take-home message here? You can't trust anyone or anything, so stop eating now! No, just kidding. Stick to buying local seasonal produce from locally supplied community markets, buy certified organic foods, enjoy a variety of foods and avoid the overprocessing. Learn the joy of cooking from scratch. Leftovers might seem a little more appealing when compared to freeze-dried, nutrient-added, microwavable cuisine, but it is your colon. You decide.
2: That's Emily and Celine giving us some food for thought.
0: Sometimes I get the feeling that I won't be planning for very long I really like it here I'm quite attached to it I hope I'm wrong All I really want to say You're the reason I want to stay I loved you before I met you And I met you just in time Cause there was nothing left sat here on my suitcase in our empty new apartment till the sun went down and I walk back down the stairs with all my bags and drove away, you must be freaking out All I know is I gotta be Where my heart says I ought to be It often makes no sense, in fact I never understand these things I feel From it it's been a while I know you've been together many times before I'll see you on the other side But don't change
2: That's Benfolds 5 with Don't Change Your Plans. Now, one of the interesting things out of that feature was that uh, Celine and Emily talked about artificial sweeteners being bad for you. I was just going to ask both of you, what, what is it in particular that's bad about them?
1: Well, what we didn't actually mention in our article was that... Um... Artificial sweeteners contain a thing called aspartame, is that how you say it? It's a sweetener flavour enhancer. It's actually prepared from phenylalanine um, and aspartic acid and actually breaks down eventually to formaldehyde in the body, uh, which is quite bad for you.
2: So I suppose the take-home message from that is that we should probably use sugar instead, but in more moderate doses and
1: less refined sugar too raw sugar is better for you than refined sugar mm, Yeah, I
2: think the interesting thing about about health and diet these days is that it's all about excess and reducing excess and just keeping things to a, a sort of a minimum I suppose and, and, and a balanced diet would that be right
5: mm, that's exactly right you look on a the packet these days and find a whole paragraph of information about what's contained in the product but in fact all you want is something so simple um a basic raw material or what you're going to eat is doesn't need to have a chemical compound that you don't even understand.
2: Well, that's uh, interesting, as I said, food for thought, and um, hopefully uh, you'll all feel better when you have a home-cooked meal later on. Well, there's more you can do in an airport toilet than join the Mile High Club. On a recent trip north, Mark West, suffering for the effects of air turbulence, turned the tiny water closet into his own recording studio to give us the lowdown on why turbulence occurs.
3: I'm on a plane up to Townsville and I'm experiencing terrible turbulence. I've taken myself off to the toilet where I can do this recording. The, uh, the captain said that he was trying to fly below the clouds so that we wouldn't get any turbulence. However, the clouds kept getting lower, so we kept getting lower. Now we're too heavy to get above the clouds. So we are getting a lot of turbulence in here, which is not really good because I pretty much don't like flying very much and turbulence is about the worst thing in the world. It's never very good when you see the stewards and stewardesses rushing down the aisles once the seatbelt sign's turned on to find a spare seat to sit in, all in a bit of a hurry. It's a bit of a worry. Let's hope we get this and land in Townsville safely, and then we might do a show on what causes turbulence. I'm back in Sydney after a seven hour delay in Townsville Airport we can have a little bit of a chat about turbulence. Now the turbulence was caused by Cyclone Nelson and Cyclone Nelson also caused my stay in Townsville to be extended by that lovely seven hours. It's very strange being normally from Sydney which is in the grips of a drought and a water crisis and then flying up to Townsville and being caught in the middle of a cyclone. Goes to show you how big Australia is. Now, turbulence is air movement that cannot normally be seen, and whilst many people enjoy this aspect of flying, I really struggle with it. There are a number of ways that turbulence can come about. Thermals. Air rises when it is heated by the sun, and cold air sinks. So if one mass of air heats up, this can cause airflow, causing turbulence. The second way is through jet streams. At high altitudes, there are fast air currents. These can shift, causing disturbance in the nearby air. The third way is through mountains. When air passes over mountains, it can cause turbulence as it flows above the air on the other side of the mountain. And the fourth way is wake turbulence. If you are flying near the ground, a passing plane or helicopter can set up small chaotic air currents that cause turbulence. And finally we've got microbursts. A storm can cause a strong downdraft when you're close to the ground. The danger with turbulence is that it cannot always be predicted. The cockpit suffers least from turbulence, whilst the rear of the plane cops most of the disturbance. You don't need clouds for turbulence, however I usually notice it most when I'm flying through them. Aircraft raiders can't detect turbulence. Turbulence is the leading cause of in-flight injuries, so remember to keep those seat belts done up. It can range from the very mild to the extremely dangerous, but rather unlikely, case of the plane being totally out of control with massive changes in altitude. Between 1981 and 1997, there were 342 reports of turbulence affecting major air carriers. Three passengers died, two of which were because they were not wearing their seatbelts. Eighty suffered serious injuries, 73 of these were not wearing their seatbelts. One example of turbulence was a flight from Singapore to Sydney with 236 passengers on board, as well as 16 crew. The airplane encountered turbulence over Central Australia when it hit an air pocket and dropped 100 metres. Nine passengers, including one pregnant woman, and three crew members suffered neck, back and hip injuries with one of the passengers requiring surgery. They were all not wearing their seatbelts. So remember, next time you fly, buckle up.
2: Thanks for that, Mark, and don't forget to leave your sick bag in the bin on the way out. Well, that's all we have for Diffusion Science this week. We hope you enjoyed it and feel inspired to fly through turbulent skies, dope to the eyeballs on food additives. If you want to send us an email, a request or a ransom note, drop us a line at diffusion at 2ser.com. To download our previous shows, log on to our website at www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion Science was produced this week by Mark West. Appearing on the show were Celine Steinfeld.
5: See you next week.
2: Emily Fern. Au revoir. And Jack Cottrell. See ya. Along with the handsome Mark West. Thanks, Darren. I'm Darren Osborne, and I leave you with Depeche Mode and enjoy the silence. We look forward to you tuning in next week.